Uh, and we're in, um, just, just while you're finding this, um, I, I love this time of the year in the church's calendar. So it was Ascension Day on Thursday, this last Thursday, uh, and that's when the church remembers that Jesus, the risen Jesus, who appeared to his disciples on a number of occasions, appeared to 500 at one time. Uh, eyewitnesses saw the risen Jesus, and then he was taken from them. One moment he was there, the next he wasn't. He, uh, and the Christian church understands that he ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And uh, next week we're celebrating Pentecost, when God uh, gives the spirit, the, the spirit of life, the spirit of power, the spirit of dynamism. Uh, pneumatos is the, is the word for the spirit. It, it, we get pneumatic drill from, from that, this kind of power. So, so Christians, we're in this space now where Christians understand that Jesus is risen and ascended. It's a bit like, you know, when you, um, when you, uh, you see the queen, uh, if you go to a sort of troop in the color or whatever it is, and you're queuing in the mall, you know, and there's, there's all those sort of tall people in front of you, you can't really see. And then here she, here she comes, here she comes. And all you see is that, you know, the guys with the, with the big helmets and the plumy, plumy thing on top. And all you see is that sort of bobbing up and down. That's all you can see. And then you just see the top of this carriage. And maybe if you just go on tiptoe, what you see is just the tip of her fingers like that. And that's, that's basically all you see. But she makes her way to Buckingham Palace. And you think, well, that's a bit disappointing. She makes her way to Buckingham Palace. And she whistles up the stairs, comes out on the balcony. And then all tens of thousands of people can see her. It doesn't matter where you are in the crowd, you can see her. And what's more, if you had her number and your phone, and you just gave her a ring, said, you imagine, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just here. She would be able to see you in the crowd. So she can see the whole crowd, but if you drew your attention, her attention to you, she'd be able to see you as well. And, and that's what Christians believe about Jesus. Risen and ascended, like if we'd lived 2,000 years ago in England, we would we would never have bumped into Jesus. We, couldn't, we wouldn't have seen him. That the him and did those feet in ancient time walk up. No, they didn't. <laughs> it's rubbish. We, we wouldn't have bumped into him. We wouldn't have got to know him, even if we'd lived at the same time. But Jesus risen and ascended, sending his spirit to enable us to know him and him, us. He in us and we in him. Ascended. He can see. He's got the perspective to see the whole world. And if we, if we kind of wave at him in prayer... He, ah, hi Tim, how are you doing? Can I help? So that's um, the ascension. That's why that's such a key kind of moment in the church of love. And we kind of bimble past it and, and don't really realize what is on access to us as Christians and the spirit coming. That was just as an aside while well, you found 1 Corinthians 15. We're, um, if you were here last week, I kind of read this bit. We're going to just touch in on it again and, and hone in on the last bit of Paul's argument about the resurrection of the body. I want to be thinking this evening about how we live this resurrection life. So from verse 50, Paul writes, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father, our prayer this evening simply is that you impress this message from Paul onto our hearts and minds. Lord, come and where necessary, re fresh, reappraise, realign our worldview, our understanding, that we can live your life in this world. To your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Um, you, can, you can catch up if you've missed any of the, the talks, you can catch on the, these talks online. We've been looking at uh, this little series, um, uh, pressing into what it means to be Easter people, resurrection people. Uh, Christians who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the evidence for that. Uh, we, we kind of spent a week looking at Thomas, who was a skeptic, like maybe some of us here, like many people in the world. You know, didn't the guy really raise from the dead? That, that was Thomas. The disciples who'd seen him said, Thomas, the Lord, we've seen the Lord. He's raised from the dead. And Thomas goes, nah. <laughs> you know, he knows, like we know, dead people don't usually rise from the dead. He said, unless I see his hands and his feet, lest I put my hand in his side, then I, I won't believe. I need, I, need, I, need, I need solid evidence. And so Jesus, in his resurrection body, just appears. We, we, we looked at this last week. I don't mess with a few people's minds that they're in a room with the doors locked because they don't want anyone coming in because they're scared of the reaction of the Jewish authorities. This rumor spreading out. And Jesus just appears amongst them. Uh, I, I take it that he just walked through the wall. And um, uh, I, I, I understand that, that he's able to do that because walls are basically, in Paul's language, mortal. They're finite. Walls don't last forever. They're just made of sort of stuff that eventually disintegrates. But a resurrection body is immortal, imperishable. So when you have perishable versus imperishable, imperishable wins. It just walks through it. You never read of Jesus walking through a wall this side of the hit, before the crucifixion, because he was wearing our bodies. That's why we can't walk through walls, and he couldn't walk through walls. But death, resurrection, brand new body, different body, different order, different kind, different type. He just walks through a wall. <laughs> no biggie. And he appears to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, I, I understand where you're at. You, you're struggling with this. So here, put your hands in my Put your hand in my, your finger in my hands and, and, and my, see the scars on my feet. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting, believe. And interestingly, John, in this account of the gospel, John doesn't record, Thomas doesn't do that. He doesn't do what Jesus, he's disobedient. He doesn't do what Jesus tells him to do. Instead, John records, he just falls to his feet and says, my Lord and my God. He says of a man, my God, because he sees who Jesus is. And uh, Paul, as we've developed this understanding of the, the resurrection, 
Paul, uh, in his letter, and we saw this last week, he, he talks about the resurrection of the body, that when we die, we don't sort of float off like in some kind of ephemeral sort of spiritual state of the soul in the, into a kind of vague nothingness. No, we, interesting, the New Testament talks of us being asleep, um, refers to those asleep. We're kind of held in God's love until the trumpet, until God's decision to recreate heaven and earth till Christ comes again. All of those are wrapped up and the dead in Christ shall rise. Those asleep shall rise. If we're still alive when that happens, he just says we will be changed. In other words, we will inherit our new resurrection form and body. So given this extraordinary new state of, of a physical reality, a resurrection body, life through death, that is ours in Jesus Christ, how does Paul conclude? This is it's one of the longest chapters um, in all of his letters. Quite a sort of you know, dense argument all the way through. How does he conclude it? Well, verse 57. So towards the end, he's coming into land. This great argument. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 58. And what do you think would follow after that? If we've, if we've been in Christ, we have got the promise of this brand new resurrection body. This walking through walls reality. Then, then what do you think we do for the rest of our time on earth? You'd expect Paul to say something like, so, since we have the victory, we have this assurance. Hey, the, the New Testament equivalent of sit back, relax, switch on the TV, pour yourself a nice G&T, whatever it might be, because we've got it in the bag. But he doesn't say that. Eyes down. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Stand firm. Ah, implication. There's opposition. You, you know, if there's no wind blowing, you can just stand. But if the wind is blowing, you have to kind of brace yourself to stand firm. There's something that's coming against these guys. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Implication, something's trying to move you. Paul says, don't let anything move you. There's something about effort here. There's something about determination. There's something about grit here. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What? Work? Labor? Mm. I thought I could just kind of chillax now that I'm in Christ with all this resurrection assured. But that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what the Christian expectation is. So... What is it with this standing firm? What is it with this promise? We've got this promise, we've got this assurance, and yet stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? And I think it's simply this, that Paul wants the Christians in Corinth and by derivation through the ages, us here now. He wants us to experience what it is to live a transformed, heavenly, imperishable, immortal existence here on earth, in the here and now. He heaven, if you like, in answer to the, to the Lord's prayer, your will be done 
your kingdom come on, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul wants us to experience the reality of the answer to that prayer. That we stand firm against the culture. That we don't let things that just fads and fashions sway us. That we labor for the Lord. And we work always for him. So that we can know what it is to live heavenly lives on earth. We can practice for the life that we will eventually one day live. So how do we do that? And I think the standing firm and the letting nothing move you and the working always for the Lord is essentially in following the Lord through his death and resurrection it is to embrace the myriad opportunities that every single one of us will have in this life to embrace many deaths to self before we embrace the ultimate death that every single one of us will face in bodily form. Yeah? One, one day, our bodies will die. We will, we will cease to live in this form as we currently do. But before that time, we will have, we will experience all sorts of opportunity to embrace many deaths to self. And as we embrace every mini death to self, we enter into an opportunity to experience a mini resurrection. Mini death leads to mini life. And in that cycle, as we embrace it, we become more and more like Jesus, who, in embracing death and resurrection and standing before us, has proved that this is actually possible. This is actually real. See, Thomas, touch my hands, my side. What, what he's saying to Thomas effectively is, you can live this life too. I've embraced the ultimate death and the ultimate resurrection, but as you follow me, you will live in many deaths and many resurrections this side of glory until the ultimate death and ultimate resurrection comes for you as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm, I've been in touch this week in my preparation with my, um, with my Catholic side, so I'm going to read Richard Rohr here. It's, it's quite a long quote, so kind of, it, like you're not listening to me now, I'm going to read this, so you can kind of slightly take it in a, in a different way. Uh, Richard Rohr is a Franciscan monk in um, New Mexico. He's written several books. Um, uh, just, he's got a brilliant knack of reflecting on life. Here's what he says. On, he's just done, recently done a... Uh, I, I kind of follow him online, and um, he's recently done a series of reflections on the resurrection. Death is not just the death of the physical body, but all the times we hit bottom and must let go of how we thought life should be and surrender to a larger power. And in that sense, we all probably go through many deaths in our lifetime. These deaths are to the small self, and they are tipping points. They are opportunities to choose transformation early. He adds, unfortunately, most people turn bitter and look for someone to blame, so their death is indeed death for them, because they close down to growth and new life. But, Ruhr says, if you do choose to walk through the depths, even the depths of your own sin and mistakes, you will come out on the other side, 
knowing you've been taken there by a source larger than yourself. Surely this is what it means to be saved. Being saved doesn't mean that you are any better than anyone else or that you will be whisked off into heaven. It means you've allowed and accepted the mystery of transformation here and now. And as now, so later. What Roar is saying is really what I think Paul is teaching here. That we have all sorts of opportunities through standing firm, through not being moved, through working for the Lord, for living for him and his kingdom values and principles to embrace death early in order to embrace and receive resurrection. And as now, so then. Opportunities for transformation. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was speaking on a similar theme, I think, and I, I, I sort of used an analogy of the training at the gym uh, and, and sort of going to the gym. And because um, my confession, I don't know if you guys, what kind of fitness regime you might be into. I'm a member of a gym, and um, so I go along. But I, conf- I, I don't really. I don't really like gyms. There's a lot about a gym that, for me, this this sounds like a really fatuous analogy, but there are lots of sort of mini deaths. Like, I've already got dressed in the morning, so I've got to get undressed and put on sort of other kit. And then if the gym session's going to be effective, I'm probably going to sweat. I I don't actually like sweating much. I'm not ordinary. I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, great, I'm going to sweat today. It's, It's a necessary byproduct of working hard in the gym. I don't actually like... Um, when you get, um, what's the muscle thing, when you, uh, lactic acid, thank you so much. I so need you today, thank you. Uh, lactic acid, and that, that sort of feeling, that achy feeling, and the sort of stiffness, that, I don't like all that. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't really like all that. So why do I do it? It's because I've got a vision of what I want to become. I'm not, I'm not looking for a great sort of, <laughs> Six pack. I've, I'm, I'm way beyond. <laughs> I just, it's, I'm, I'm way past that. My, my number one passion is mountaineering. I, I, and as I get older and older, I want to be fit enough and strong enough and have enough endurance to climb a mountain well. That's my vi- So when I'm in the gym, I'm thinking about, I, I literally am daydreaming about the next mountain route I want to do. And that's, so what I, when I was saying the other day, when I was using this analogy, I'm basically borrowing from the future to sustain me in the present. What is it that makes me go to the gym? It's what I, what I want to be able to do the next time I'm in a mountain range. But you can flip that, and, and it works the other way. In other words, when I'm in the gym, it contributes to the vision. So I go to the gym partly because the vision sustains me in the present, but what I'm doing in the present enables me to reach the future. I, in, in this silly analogy, climbing a mountain well. Paul says, stand firm. Labor for the Lord. Let nothing move you. Because what you're doing is training yourself in the here and now to be fit for heaven. Just as an aside, there's a theologian called Francis Young. and She's got a severely disabled um, son called Arthur. And uh, she's really wrestled in her faith with what's, why is Arthur, if God is so good, then why have I got this severely disabled son? He's an adult son. I think he's in his sort of 30s, 40s, but in a wheelchair, can't do pretty much 
do nothing for himself. And you know, it's completely uh, dominated her, her, the, the way in which she lives her life on earth, having to care for him 24-7. And so it is, she's constantly worked through this. She's written a book about it face to face. And wrestled with all the questions. If, if God's so good, how come Arthur? And all the things he's missed out on in this life. But then she sort of flips it again and goes, well, uh, what will heaven be like for Arthur? And she's agnostic on whether Arthur, and I, I don't know the answer. To, uh, who knows the answer? What will Arthur be like in heaven? Will he have a completely able body? Many people have suggested that to her and said, you know, when Arthur's in heaven, he, he, won't it be great? He won't have a wheelchair. He won't have a, he won't, it'd be amazing. He'd be able to play football and frisbee. And, and she's gone, well, if that's the case, then will he truly be Arthur? What makes Arthur, Arthur? Good question. I don't know the answer. She, don't think she claims to know the answer, but here's a conclusion she's come to. Arthur will find heaven so much easier than many of us. Because Arthur has had to work so much harder here on earth to lean on God and to depend on him. And we in our unbelievable capability of mind and body and social I mean you we are such a capable people we are compared to Arthur Francis Young would argue disadvantaged because we haven't had to learn what it is to lean on God and so we haven't been able to practice in the gym of here and now the heaven body because we're so self-capable and self-reliant interesting thought slight aside <laughs> someone suffering with the rain I don't go to the gym now to be good at going to the gym. I go to the gym to be good at mountaineering. And if you can take that slightly woeful analogy, but apply it to the way in which God is calling us to live our lives today, to train for him, to labor for him, in order that God can grow in us through many deaths and resurrections, many deaths and resurrections, the dying of self and the living for him and for others. That's what death and resurrection will look like in our everyday life. It's the dying to self and the living for others that will train us and skill us and fit us to live well for him on this earth and be prepared to live and embrace and enjoy heaven through death. So what does that look like in practice? There's so many examples. You can do your own thinking. Again, in your life groups or prayer triplets this week, challenge yourself. What will this look like? The death and the rising. But here's one example. It, again, I took this pluck it. In a consumerist society where everything around us says have this buy me consume the other and, and so much of that stuff won't last it's it's perishable it's mortal so with your hard-earned cash choose to deny self you see a really nice clutch handbag pair of shoes, tie, jacket, shirt. And your immediate thought is, oh, that looks, uh, I'd look good in that. 
hmm, that would go with. And you, you put that to death. You die. You practice a mini death. And what you do is you say, I'm going to buy that, but not for me. I'm going to buy it for someone else. Here's the thing. The, the handbag or the shoes or the... It's perishable. That won't last. But the spirit behind the gesture will. And you practice fanning into flame that spirit that dies to self and lives for others. It's one example. You could say, so I'll do it once a month. It's one of the reasons why we fast, or at least it's a byproduct of fasting. It, fasting is to say no to the perishable. No to the finite. No to this life. In order to kind of create space in our frantic world when everything is looking to move me. I'm going to stand firm, push it away, and create space for me to reflect on who God is calling me to become. And to bring that into being. Tom Wright, I'm, I'm a bit full of quotes today, so I'm, forgive me if this sounds a bit like a lecture. But um, this is an outstanding book, Surprised by Hope, Tom Wright. Uh, and he says this. Uh, he's just he's countering a claim um, that, because uh, th- what, t- what I've just said there m- might sound like, oh, so if we do all the good stuff, we kind of build the kingdom of heaven. He says, no, God builds God's kingdom. But, he says, what we can and must do in the present, if we are obedient to the gospel, and if we're following Jesus, and if we are indwelt, energized, and directed by the Spirit, is to build for the kingdom. So we don't build the kingdom. God builds his kingdom in and through us. But he calls us to build for the kingdom. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to fall over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something which will become, in due course, part of God's new world. Every act of love gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter one's fellow non-human beings, and of course every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed which spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation which God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of his wonderful world, which has begun with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and in the power of his spirit means that what we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. Stand firm, let nothing move you. The Bishop of Manchester, in a service this week, effectively took what Paul is saying here and spoke it over a congregation in the light of the tragedy last Monday. And time and again, he said to the congregation, I guess it was a pretty mixed bag of all faiths and none. But he said to those people, Manchester, 
in the face of evil, choose love. In the face of shock and grief and death, Manchester, he said, choose love. And on one level, he was just offering a kind of knee-jerk reflex action, trying to encourage as many people away from revenge and hatred and evil back. Choose love. It's been wonderful, hasn't it? Some of the social media, the news stories, some of the, th the, the ways in which people have died to self and lived for other. I don't know where they are in Jesus, but all, all I know is that they, if they're going through the motions of death and resurrection, death and resurrection, I pray God it's only a matter of time before they bump into Jesus while they do what he was doing and come to living faith in him if they haven't already in some way, shape or form experienced that. Choose life, but what, the, and choose love, the bishop says. But actually what he was doing at a deeper level was speaking into this time-honoured and, and kind of creation-centred reality. He was speaking what the theologians would call eschatological hope, eschatological reality. Eschaton is the end times. It, it's, it's talking about what will happen. Bring it forward. As you choose to love in the face of evil, you're bringing a taste of heaven forward and scattering the seed so that as it falls and takes root, it grows. This is what it is to live a resurrection life in the here and now. In the face of evil, stand firm. When other cause, oh, let's hate the guns, let's expel everyone, get oh, every terrorist shot, whatever it is. All the overreactions, choose love. Don't let other things move you. Labor for the Lord. Because in laboring for the Lord, as he labored for us through death, don't think, we, we kind of we've made that look nice and pretty. He's got, a lovely, look, he's got a lovely gold nappy. Beautiful. He was naked. That's just Victorian sensitivities. He was shamed in every sense possible. A horrific death. You think that was easy? He was working hard for us. He labored for his father for our sake. He died to self for our sake. And God honored him and raised him up to brand new life. And it's that laboring and raising to brand new life that God promises to each and every one of us. And we can practice it in the day to day. My final Catholic theologian, and I, I, I promise you I'm done on Catholic theologians for at least for today. Henry Nouwen. If you can get hold of any Henry Nouwen, gobble him up. This is what he says in uh, The Inner Voice of Love. Do not hesitate to love and to love deeply. You might be afraid of the pain that deep love can cause when those you love deeply reject you, leave you, or die. Your heart will be broken. But that should not hold you back from loving deeply. The pain that comes from deep love makes your love even more fruitful. It is like a plow that breaks the ground to allow the seed to take root and grow into a stronger plant. Every time you experience the pain of rejection, absence or death, you are faced with a choice. You can become bitter and decide not to love again. Or you can stand straight in your pain and let the soil on which you stand become richer and more able to give life to new seeds.
now and it was describing what Paul has attempted to explain here of, of not ducking the challenge when an opportunity comes through hardship, pain, sorrow, the death of a loved one, rejection, things that hurt us and hit us. Don't duck them. Don't shield away. As best you can in the strength of God's spirit, embrace them as a new mini death, which as you die with Christ, your faith is energized to believe that you will be raised with Christ to ever greater resurrection life. It's, it's not easy. It's very risky. It's often painful. Death usually is. Paul, in this letter, promises that that's how we find true life. Who's there to help me? Final question with this I'll finish. Who is there to help me in this journey of mini death to mini life? And the answer is we'll celebrate next week is the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. The, the one, literally, parakletos means the one called to be alongside. The Father, through the Son, sends the Spirit. And he is our, he, he's our companion. The paraclete, in, uh, taken straight from the word, in the Roman army you had when you went out in sort of man-to-man uh, -man combat uh, and you were away from the whole, the whole sort of infantry, you always had a paraclete. Because when you were kind of in the mix of battle, your, your vision, all you can see is kind of like, like that. So how can you see the guy coming up behind you who's going to stab you in the back? You can't on your own, but your paraclete, your buddy, the one called to be alongside, he stood here, and he's got your back. So you're, you've got the enemy here, but he's got here. And with the paraclete, you've got 360 vision. And God promises the paraclete, the one who will come alongside, the God of power, the God of life, the Holy Spirit. He is the one who, as we call on him, as we drink him in, as we live with him, and he in us, enables us to take the risk and the pain of many deaths so that we experience transformationally many life and step into even more of the life that God has for us here on earth. Are you up for it? stand together in a few minutes we're going to we're going to worship God in song by way of response but let's just have a moment to let this stuff sit I realize this is this is kind of big stuff it's quite heavy stuff I've had a I've had a head start because I've been preparing this this week so I've been I've allowed myself to kind of ooh, take this in and I recognize for many of us this is maybe for many of us here the first time we've thought about it this week it's big stuff so let's just have some moment as we, we stand. It's kind of a statement of intent to stand. I've been sitting to sort of receive this, and now I'm going to stand. I want to digest this, Lord. I just want to allow a few minutes before we, we ease into worshiping God by way of response, just to let this sit, to trickle into your being, into your mind, into your heart, into your soul, into your spirit.
conscious this, this way of living actually takes um, effort. I think Paul twice, he talks about work, he talks about labor. Kind of as I think about my job and my relationships, uh, my family, my housemates, think about all the stuff I've got to do, the projects that I'm involved in, the exams I'm about to take, the deadlines, the to-do list. of the challenges that laboring for the Lord implicitly entails, standing up for him, taking some of the hits, counting some of the cost, the pain that dying to self will always involve. I sense just the Lord saying, is he saying to me? I wonder if he's saying to you. Are you up for this, for this challenge? Have you got the courage? Have you got the guts? Will you reach with all that you know of yourself to all that you know of me? Will you hold out your hand, grab mine, feel my hand gripping you as we do this together? You and the paraclete, the Spirit of God, He'll lead us, John says, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, he will lead us into all truth. The truth is that, as Jesus says, if you look to keep your life, you'll lose it. If you look to hold on to everything here and now, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, death to self, you will gain it to eternal life. Walking through walls, life. Power, reality truth, meaning, purpose. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to rest on each and every one of us here. You have the perspective of the Father from the balcony. You're looking down. You can see each and every one of us. You know where we're at. You know what we face. You know who we are. You know the challenges, the tests, the trials. You know when the next mini-death opportunity is coming up for us. Holy Spirit, we say to you now, walk with us, journey with us, strengthen and enable us to live more and more of this life for your glory. slide into sung response again it may be that something you just want to kind of allow people to kind of worship around you and, and you are still engaging with God that's fine you don't, don't have to sing these guys can lead us uh, but if by way of response almost as a statement of intent uh, we worship you God through this and in this because I can sense that your spirit is enabling me to become more truly who you've designed me to be then uh, I'd encourage you to sing, to worship, and we'll do that, bring our service to a close in uh, 15 minutes or so. But let's worship God together.